selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Hello, I'm Monica Reinagle, and you're listening to the Nutrition Diva Podcast, a show where we take a closer look at dietary fads and dubious claims so that you can make more informed decisions about your own health and nutrition. Over the years, I have looked at a whole slew of dietary fads that could be grouped together under the general heading of personalized nutrition. There was the blood type diet, for example, which claimed that you should either include or avoid various categories of food based on whether you had type O, A, B, or AB blood. A different dietary pattern was recommended for each blood type. And, you know, at any one of them would it constitute a substantial nutritional upgrade compared to the typical American diet. But there's very little research to support any connection between one's blood type and one's ideal diet. There were also popular diets based on body shape. One diet for those with pear-shaped figures, another for those with apple-shaped bodies, and so on. And as with the blood type diets, following any one of them would result in a much healthier diet than most people were already eating. But again, the science supporting different diets for different body shapes was speculative at best. Another whole category of personalized nutrition involves testing your blood for the presence of antibodies, which would allegedly reveal subtle food sensitivities that were responsible for your symptoms or for your inability to lose weight, except that these tests are not considered valid indicators of an actual food sensitivity. Now, to be clear, food tolerances do exist. It's just that these sorts of tests are not a reliable way to identify them. There's a very high rate of false positives where the test says that you're sensitive to a food that you actually tolerate just fine. And as a result, they usually result in overly and unnecessarily restrictive diets. But the appetite for personalized nutrition continues unabated, and more recently, advances in genomics and microbiomics have led to an explosion of new products and services that claim to give you a personalized dietary prescription based on an analysis of your microbiome or your DNA. And I get it. It's long been clear that we don't all respond the same way to the same dietary interventions. Some people do really well on a higher fat diet. Others develop high triglycerides or cholesterol on that same diet. Some people lose more weight when they reduce carbs. And other people lose more weight when they increase complex carbs and reduce fat. So if those differences were genetic... Maybe we could skip some of the trial and error and just zero right in on the best approach for each unique individual based on their DNA. Several large studies were launched to validate this approach, and several large companies were launched to monetize it. The studies, unfortunately, have been less than convincing. The monetization of DNA-based diets, however, continues apace. And here's the crazy thing. Even though the science does not really support them, 
these personalized dietary prescriptions may actually improve people's health. Why? Because we believe they will. This summer, researchers from McGill University published the results of a study in which all of the subjects were given a placebo treatment, but some of the subjects were put through fake genetic testing, and then they were told that their placebo treatment had been customized based on their results. The placebo treatment was actually exactly the same for all of the subjects, and true to the placebo effect, the treatment did have some positive effects in both groups, but it was significantly more effective in those who believed that their treatment had been customized based on their genetic analysis. And here's one fascinating side note. The researchers found that those who had a stronger desire to be seen as different from others, and they based this on the results of a personality questionnaire, those folks experienced the largest benefits. But only when they were told that the treatment was personalized. Similarly, selling someone a dietary prescription that's based on their genetics may well produce better results than the same dietary prescription offered without that halo of personalization. People may feel more motivated to follow a prescription that's ostensibly tailored to their unique physiology. They may feel better when they're following it, because they believe it's personalized. And perhaps that's enough to justify the utility, if not the validity, of personalized dietary advice. Except that knowing does not always result in doing, especially once the novelty wears off. I work with people all the time who know full well that the dietary choices they are making are not supporting their health, and yet they struggle to change them. I think we often kid ourselves that having more information will result in making better choices, especially if that information is highly specific to us. But as most nutritionists and dietitians that work with people one-on-one will tell you, very little of our counseling consists of telling people what they should and shouldn't eat. It ends up being mostly about helping people figure out how to bridge the gap between knowing and doing. Despite the variances between individuals, there are some universal truths. We don't have to sequence your DNA or analyze your microbiome to know that foods that are high in added sugars or fried foods or highly processed foods may not be ideal for the human body. If these foods are still a big part of your diet, well, then it probably makes sense to start eliminating them or reducing them before you spend $500 to find out whether your intestinal bacteria prefer apples to oranges. If you're not willing to take those first obvious steps toward a healthier diet, how much good would a personalized dietary prescription based on your genes really do in the long run? Now, that's not to say that the ideal diet is a one-size-fits-all solution. But I think it's even more important to optimize your diet for non-biological, non-genetic factors, such as your preferences, your lifestyle, and your priorities. 
My good friend Jay, for example, struggles with a strong genetic predisposition toward high cholesterol and diabetes. And he really wants to manage these issues without medication as much as possible, which means that for him, diet and lifestyle are key. And interestingly, he has had success with two diametrically opposed approaches. Several years ago, when his blood sugar levels were starting to cross that line from pre-diabetic over into diabetic, he took the low-carb route. He eliminated virtually all sugar, most grains, starchy vegetables, and legumes. His diet was mostly meat, eggs, and vegetables. And his weight and his blood sugar dropped impressively. But after a year or two, they started to creep back up. And part of the problem, at least, was that he found it difficult to sustain that strict, low-carb lifestyle long-term, even as disciplined as he is. So at that point, he did a complete U-turn, and he switched to a vegan diet. Now, although he still moderates sugar, he now builds his meals around grains and legumes, foods that were mostly off-limits on his low-carb diet. And this, too, worked like gangbusters, even though it was pretty much the complete opposite of his previous approach. He lost weight, his cholesterol improved dramatically, and his blood sugar dropped enough to keep him off meds. Both of those approaches obviously require giving something up. But over the long haul, Jay was more willing to give up meat and eggs than he was to give up grains. So which of those two approaches might a DNA or a microbiome test have suggested for Jay? You know what? Who cares? Both approaches worked for his body, but one of them worked much better for his preferences and his lifestyle, and that made it far more sustainable. Winner, winner, chicken-free dinner. I predict that the science and the technology around personalized diets will continue to evolve and will probably become more accurate. But knowing what diet is best for us, obviously, doesn't necessarily make it any easier to follow it. But in the meantime, here are three ways to personalize your diet. Number one, consider what foods you enjoy eating. Which ones are you more or less indifferent to? Are your tastes more adventurous or sort of conventional? I mean, some people would be happy to go for the rest of their lives without potatoes as long as they could have steak, and others are exactly the opposite. Some people love exotic flavors and ingredients. Others prefer plainer fare. And all of these can be important clues to your ideal dietary approach. It's not to say that you can never branch out and try new things, but an approach that is completely outside of your comfort zone is going to be hard to sustain for long. As soon as things get busy, we're very likely to revert to our more familiar and comfortable patterns. So let's start by creating the healthiest possible version of that baseline. Number two, think about how your eating habits make you feel. It's not just about your taste preferences, though. It's also important to consider how eating a certain way makes you feel. For example, compare how you feel after eating animal foods, which tend to provide more protein, and how plant-based meals, which are usually higher in fiber, make you feel. 
One day, you might have eggs and vegetables for breakfast and top your salad with grilled chicken at lunch. Another day, you could have oatmeal with nuts for breakfast and top your salad with garbanzo beans. Then pay attention to how you feel throughout the day. Do you feel energized or sleepy? How satisfied do you feel after eating? Does your digestion feel more sluggish or efficient? How soon do you get hungry again? Are you cruising through your workouts or are you feeling kind of underpowered? Finally, it's important to consider what besides your health really matters to you. Are you a competitive athlete, an environmental warrior? Is food and cooking a really important part of your social and cultural rituals or something that you just want to dispense with as quickly as possible? Your diet needs to align with more than just your DNA. It also has to be harmonious with those other priorities and values. So here are my two takeaways for you. The best diet for you is the one that you can follow. Our genes and microbiome may hold some clues as to which dietary approaches will produce the best biological response, but few of us make dietary decisions based only on our biological needs. A reasonably healthy diet that you can happily and comfortably sustain is better than the biologically perfect diet that you can't or won't follow. The details don't really matter if the basic foundation is missing. You don't need a microbiome analysis or a DNA test to know that cutting back on added sugars, refined carbohydrates, and other highly processed foods and eating more nutritious whole foods will improve your health. All of this is baked into the approach that we take in the Weigh Less program, by the way. So if you are looking for more support for healthy weight management, please do check out the tools and the resources available for you at weighless.life. If you have a question you'd like me to answer, you can email me at nutrition at quickanddirtytips.com. You can also leave me a voicemail at 443-961-6206. Nutrition Diva is a quick and dirty tips podcast, and I'm grateful to my team, which includes my director of podcasts, Adam Cecil, audio engineer, Nathan Sems, Davina Tomlin, who runs our marketing and publicity, Holly Hutchings, our digital operations specialist, and Morgan Christensen, who is our podcast operations and advertising specialist. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.